0: good morning and welcome to the david and david on real estate podcast and today we have a very special episode you know uh, david corman a lot of my agents ask me for um the episodes where we analyze different law statutes and we really peel back the layers and get into it they love listening to uh to this content so why not bring them more of that we have you in the house with your expertise uh, so we are on episode n- number 97 today, and today we're going to talk about some legal precedent cases.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, as a lawyer, it's you know, I always find it funny, like every once in a while we have to look at the law and the legal cases to remind ourselves of why we do things. And, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm not a litigation lawyer. I'm, I'm a, you know, there's barristers and there's solicitors, and I've never been a barrister. I'm a solicitor. We do transactions. And every once in a while, we sort of forget why we do transactions a certain way, and why, uh, you know, what the general principles behind that are. So we, and this is how we remind ourselves. And as the cases come through and get decided, that's you know what we're relying on. So it's like I'm not sitting here looking up law all the time, and and neither are you. But occasionally, you know, we have issues on our files, and we've got to, you know, well, why is it? like this. So that's something we're going to discuss today because in today's market, David, as you know, like every transaction that we try to close is a bit of a challenge. There's issues that come up and, um, and and people are taking positions because things aren't necessarily closing on time and people need extensions and they have to negotiate for those things. So it brings up all these principles, like the parties have rights to do that, that. And, um, so that's where these cases come into play. So I think it's you know every once in a while it's good to have this pause and try and figure out how how we deal with these situations.
0: Yeah, and, and what's really interesting, what I love about the law, David, is that as these cases go through the court systems and as judges um, you know rule and, and and issue their judgments, and as those judgments are are pushed to higher courts, to the appellant courts and to the superior court you know that's when really the law starts to shape and 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 by by going through this process you know we get something called precedent which um you know is great because it kind of reshapes or redefines or or readjusts the course of of how all of us have to interpret some of these laws and um it really shapes how we transact on an everyday basis
1: right and this case that we're going to talk about now, which we refer to as the Bassin case, you know, it's, it's B-A-J-S-I-N, a, a basin, basin, and, um, and her new, it is a decision that was, I don't know, it was a, it was 10, 12, 14 years ago, or, or maybe longer. I forgot already. And it had nothing to do with real estate, but it was a decision that discussed some basic contractual principles of, you know, whether parties can act on their strict rights under their contract, or do they have an additional duty to act honestly or in good faith when they're dealing with another party? So this case had nothing to do with a real estate transaction, but the principles and the discussion in the case um, are important and have everything to do with the way we deal with our real estate transactions. Okay. Cause in this case, it, it was, um, if I remember correctly, it was a distributorship agreement between, you know, the one party A and party B that had a renewal right. And um, and in the course of the, there was an automatic renewal or each party can give notice to terminate, um, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and, and it automatically renewed. And then there were some disputes going on in the relationship and, and there was a, a forced audit upon them by the Securities Commission, and, you know, one party sort of forced a, um, you know, appointed a competitor to do the audit, which would, you know, put that one party in in jeopardy of of certain information being disclosed. So they sort of balked at that idea. And there was just sort of this breakdown in relationship. And that led to one party saying, okay, I'm not renewing. And that's what the case came about. Now, they had a clear contractual right to not renew there was nothing in, in the contracts as they they had to renew either party can give notice that they're not renewing but because there was some underlying facts going on there and some bad faith between the parties and the way they were dealing with each other during the course of the contract uh, it, this went to the court to determine whether or not they were acting in good faith and whether they could exercise that right to to uh, to terminate so it had nothing to do with real estate but it led to this whole discussion of do the parties have a duty to act with each other, honestly, and in good faith. Okay. Which is no different than in our, our, our real estate transactions. You know, we start with, a uh, you know, our printed form agreements of purchase and sale in a standard residential transaction or in a commercial transaction, the rights of the parties are clearly set out in writing. You hope clearly drafted, but can the parties strictly rely on what's written in there or based on the facts that happened between the parties, can an argument be made that, Hey, you weren't acting in good faith with me. So even though you have strict rights, there was something dishonest about your activity or you weren't acting properly or you were deceptive. Therefore you can't rely on what the contract says.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. And, and I guess this, this decision went all the way to the supreme court of canada so it got it went through all the different court systems and and my understanding david and you know i i'm not a lawyer but uh, the the way that uh, um, i interpret this case is that prior to this decision being rendered by the supreme court of canada that when you entered a contract um, you could choose not to perform the contract and pay damages. Right. Um, That was a choice that you had. So you could perform the contract or you can choose not to perform the contract, knowing that if you don't perform the contract, you can pay the damages and and go on your way. But I think um, in my interpretation, the Supreme Court of Canada said, well, no, when you enter a contract. You really have the principle of good faith to complete that contract and and you need to complete that contract. And it's no longer acceptable not to complete the contract and simply pay damages as, as a way out of the contract.
1: Yeah. And and those are correct legal principles, David. And you know, I know you're, you, you always, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I play a lawyer in a podcast. and, and I, I feel the same way sometimes um, as a litigation lawyer, because I'm not a litigation lawyer, but, but I think that's, that's correct. Like, you know, if, if you don't perform your contract, general principle, no, no surprise to anybody, you're be responsible for damages that accrue. So that's the basic remedy for people that don't, perform their contract that they're going to be facing but there is another remedy that's available sometimes and this comes to play in in real estate transactions and that's the remedy of specific performance where someone's going to court and saying no i'm not just giving me damages isn't good enough there was something about that property that i I want this i want the judge to order that this transaction be completed because i can't be compensated adequately just by damages by monetary funds and, and it's a tougher argument to get that remedy because you usually have to satisfy a judge that there's something special about that particular property. It's not just you know a standard house in the middle of a subdivision. If you don't close on that one, you can go next door and buy the next property, which is very similar So because if that's the case, if those are the facts, the judge is not going to give you specific performance. They're just going to make sure you're compensated in damages. But sometimes there's something unique about the transaction or about a particular property or why they want that property and, and can't be satisfied by just getting another property. And a judge can give that type of order, too. So anybody that's thinking they might default and just face damages has to know that there is this potential remedy against them of specific performance as well.
0: Yeah, this uh leads me back to I think one of our very first podcasts that we ever did, because we spoke about breach of contract, right? Um, what happens when a transaction doesn't close? And we talked about specific performance. And I guess my question, David, is now that the Supreme Court of Canada kind of rendered this decision back in 2014, is it easier to get specific performance? Because we always say that, you know, it's harder, the property has to be more specific, but Now, if we know that a contract that's entered into has to be completed, and you can no longer take the position that, hey, I'm gonna choose not to complete this contract and simply pay damages. Now, when the Supreme Court of Canada basically said, hey, now you have a duty to really complete and act in good faith, is it gonna be easier to get the specific performance judgment? Are are we gonna see more of that in in the court cases?
1: Well, I think in theory, that makes sense okay because this concept of acting in good faith has become more and more more prominent now you got to remember there has to be facts in the particular situation to show that someone was not acting in good faith okay right. so just because someone breaches it breaches a contract doesn't mean they're necessarily acting in in bad faith if they're just you know going in the normal course of the transaction and not acting dishonestly or, or, or doing anything, you know that may not come into play. But let's assume that there are some facts that give rise to that argument, acting in good faith. So then conceptually, there should be more orders of specific performance, okay? The problem is, it's, it's a tough remedy. And the reason is, you know how long the court process generally takes in a normal, like if you're suing for damages, your day in court might be a year and a half, two years from now till it goes through the, through the system, okay? And there's no real peril to the parties to it because at the end of the day, they'll get compensated in damages by an award, which will include interest and, and costs and things like, like that. It can all be addressed, okay? But there's always a timing issue. But if you're going for trying to get specific performance, you have to get in court right away because you have to get a judge to give an order preventing the seller from selling to anybody else. And there's you know there's some time constraints on it because the parties are ready to move. They're ready to close. The closing is supposed to be imminent or maybe the closing had already happened. So they can't wait around for two years and, the, and keep the property in limbo for that. So you have to go to court right away. So in order to do that, it's a really expensive process. Okay, you got to have a litigation lawyer, he's got to, you know, get a date in court, convince sometimes to get an order to stop the transaction or stop making an order so they can't sell to somebody else. Because if the transaction didn't close, the seller is going to normally take a position, hey, we didn't close, you didn't close, you're in breach, someone's in breach, we're going to sell to somebody else, we're relisting it. So now someone's got to get to court and put a stop to that. Say, no, no, I need an order from a judge really quickly to stop them from selling to somebody else because we want to have our day in court to argue for specific performance. And, and then you've got to bring that on a rush basis. So it's, you, you've got to be able to convince the judge to give you the, the order, to stop selling to anybody else and get an order to, you know, to have this set down so that you can argue in court for a specific performance. And then, You've got to put your materials together. You've got to give it to the other side. There could be an examination discoveries on the material. So even on a rush basis, there's a lot of work that has to be done. It's extremely expensive. So you're paying a litigation lawyer an awful lot of money up front to try and go for this. And that lawyer is going to do some sort of analysis of, you know, what are your chances of getting this? Can, you know, can we get this? So it's not easy. Okay. It's not an easy remedy to go up. So, so yes, I you know it's a sort of long-winded answer, but in theory, there should be more of this. But yeah. the practicalities of, of going to get it and getting in and out of court and the expense and the risk of not getting it is really high. So that makes people pause, right? Because you know, people, you know, if you think you're a buyer that really wants this property, your deposit money is already tied up do you have deep pockets to to start litigation on that level to get into court quickly to get that order that's that's and an...
0: yeah David we lost you there for a second but uh i completely agree I, uh, I I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of these court cases go through the court systems right now, and we're seeing the courts consistently um, uphold the contract and find the uh, buyers that have been in breach by not closing the, the transaction liable for damages. So I, I think the good news is that if you go through the court system, the courts have consistently upheld that the breaching party... Is in breach of the contract and have awarded a lot of damages to uh, to that party. So I think that actually acts as an estoppel and a deterrent for people to um, you know not act in good faith and 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 not fulfill their contractual obligations. So I, I think the system's working, and I think you know the courts have consistently shown that uh, they're going to rule in favor of the injured party and uphold these agreements. Um, And uh, we're going to have to wait and see what happens, but I think in the future we're going to see more of these cases go through the court system, and I'd like to see them, you know, be reviewed faster. I I think if the courts are ruling in favor of the uh, injured party, I think there's going to be less people um, not fulfilling their contractual obligations. Uh, we're going to see less of these uh, um, cases go through courts because buyers are going to understand that if they don't close, if they don't fulfill the contract, uh, the The contract, there's going to be dire consequences. And then hopefully we see uh, more time being alleviated and, and these cases going through the court system a little bit faster. And I'd like to see uh, more specific performance remedies being implemented to the court system just to really show that if you enter a contract, you have the good faith obligation to complete that contract and giving the power um, uh, to the injured party to make sure that contract is completed. Thank you for joining us. This has been a a great episode. We lost David Corman there at the end due to a bad connection, but everybody, thank you so much and join us next week as we continue diving deep into other legal precedents.